This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. We're back on the air here, day two of me slowly returning to normal broadcasting. My mouth still hurts. Oh, get dental work when you're supposed to get dental work. Don't wait years for it like I did. Preach. I'm preaching. I'm preaching. But again, I'm thankful not in Westeros for their dental plans. Uh, we had a great question asked yesterday. We had we always have great questions asked by you guys. You guys are great. And calling in with some thoughts, starters, and questions. And Thomas had a question about ice dragons. How are we going to kill them? What is the practical approach to killing an ice dragon? And I want answers. I need answers. We have the usual suspects, but how do you think it's going to happen? How do you think it will go down? Do you think it will go down? And then Eric asked a great question about, hey, what if at the end of all this, the Night King is still alive? I gave my thoughts yesterday. I want to hear your guys' thoughts on the idea of what if the end of this, season eight, the Night King is still alive because the Night King, well, maybe he has some other goal. Maybe there's a shade of gray to him. Maybe he just isn't defeated. What do you think? Call in. Let me know. Let's go to the phones now. Hey, Ken. Just following up on the conversation about how to kill an undead dragon. Um, someone correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe like the Night King kind of just touched and raised it just like he kind of does everything else in his army. So it seems like it could die by the same ways, either dragonglass, Valyrian steel, or fire. Obviously, that's easier said than done because how do you get next to a dragon or get close enough to stab it with Dragonglass, Valyrian Steel, other than using a Scorpion Bolt. Um, and I think it comes down to Danny and John mounted combat on their dragons. We're going to have dragons in the sky. We're going to have dragons uh, shooting fire. We're going to have dragons shooting ice fire or whatever the heck the ice dragon was shooting. Uh, we're going to have an epic battle in the skies with those, and that's where the CGI budget's going to go next season. And uh, I think somehow, some way, John gets a shot with, uh, with Longclaw, or they're going to torch it with Dragonfire. I think some way that's how it's going to go down. Kevin Ross, so let's talk about the Ice Dragon. Uh, the only way, as I have seen it, and I have been studying this battle for a very long time, is Bran warging into the Ice Dragon itself. Because uh, we've seen Bran warg into other things like giants and stuff. And the Night King and Bran will have a conflict which will allow Jon and Danny to either sacrifice another dragon uh, to take it out, or the two can, can do that, forcing the Night King to the ground. But that is the reason why we have the Siege of Winterfell in the first place. Yes, uh, the uh, the Night King can take out some of our uh, tertiary and secondary characters, but his primary purpose is to assassinate Bran. The Wall prevented him from coming south, so now he needs to make sure that that never happens again. If only there were a way to corral all the undead in one place, and maybe then take them all out at once. Huh. I wonder what kind of plan that would look like. Thanks. So, some sort of air-to-air combat seems to be a bit of a general consensus here, at least with these couple calls from Jeff and Kevin about how to take down Viserion, the wonderful Ice Dragon. And yeah, Jeff, you're right. Ice Dragon, that's big, that's imposing, but it's like any other white. Been reanimated by the Night King, which of course means going to Barrack. And his theory and his observation that I think we all believe is true, as we saw it kind of happen, is if you take out the Night King, you might just take out the dragon. So 
Maybe that's it. Maybe it's air-to-air combat. John, Danny, their dragons versus Night King on his dragon. You're right. CGI budget would need to be, well, tripled maybe. I don't know. Just to make it look good. We've come a long way with the CGI of riding dragons from the first time we saw Danny do it, right? I trust that. I hope that. But I can see that. I can see that happening. Maybe John gets a shot in up above, but maybe that comes into what comes into play is Kevin's theory about Bran having to warg into a dragon. And I like that idea. I like the idea of also the Night King having that kind of power too in or some sort of similar power and it becomes the night king versus brand battle just as much as is john and danny versus the night king uh, it's kind of this in terms of pro wrestling kind of almost like a triple threat match here we got brand in one corner he's not going to fight john and danny so maybe instead of a triple threat match it's a uh, handicap tag team match i don't know enough of the wrestling talk um but you know brand versus the night king in some kind of uh magical other level type of battle is intriguing to me and maybe you take out the night king you could take out viscera and the ice dragon i think you're gonna need to the dragons will come into play they have to come into play we're talking dragon riders we're talking prophecy we're talking what this show's been building to and speaking of prophecy and that third dragon rider what do you do when there's only two dragons to ride not counting Viserion. Or do you count it? And Bran warging in makes him suddenly a contender for the third Dragon Rider. Or is the third Dragon Rider prophecy just something that's more book-related and something we're not going to really worry about here in the show? And I'm digging in too deep. But that's part of speculating. Right? Right. All right, guys. If you have any ideas how to take down an ice dragon, we want to hear it here on Daily Thrones. Hey, Ken, so I've got kind of a little bit of a crazy question, and the way I, I thought of this is actually kind of crazy. Uh, I found out the original ending to the film Alien, what Ridley Scott wanted to do was he was going to have the alien kill Ripley, and in the end, he was going to have the alien actually talk. We found out that the, that the alien could talk and send, like, some transmission, and they didn't like that ending, so they changed it. But that got me thinking, would, would you want to see a twist where we find out the Night King could actually speak and can actually speak, and we find out more about him that way, or would you think that would just be, eh, it's just too stupid, I, don't, I wouldn't want to see that. And the Night King lives was our topic yesterday, but what about the Night King speaks? Eric, you're doing a lot of deep thinking on the Night King, and I like it. We talk about wanting to learn about the motives of the Night King, who he is, what, what does he want? Does he just want to walk around in the snow? Does he want to defeat everybody? Maybe he wants to get along. Maybe he wants to reverse some sort of curse. After all, it wasn't his fault that the children of the forest created him and his uh, his line of folks, right? Right? Makes some sense. But to learn all that, how will we find that out? The White Walkers, are, are they do have a language. They speak in the books. And as you know, Eric, they're... It's not something that uh, the, the it's not in common tongue for sure, and it's not going to be something we would understand. So it would, would come down to the Night King perhaps awkwardly talking, and I think that would be the case. It would be an awkward conversation, an awkward moment, especially if he's just like, hey, John, how you doing? Can we talk? Let's have a little parlay. Here's what I'm looking for. We wouldn't want that. It would be weird. It would, but I want to find out a little bit more about the Night King. I can, 
I can accept the idea that he is just the big evil, the big bad, and he wants to conquer all, and he must be defeated. But like we were talking about yesterday uh, with the idea that uh, Erica was putting out there as well about what if the Night King survives? What if there's some kind of different end to the Night King's journey and to the story than we're expecting? Which, this is Game of Thrones. That's highly probable. So the Night King speaking or the Night King being able to communicate what he really wants Maybe it is just pure evil. Maybe it's just pure conquest. It, it's definitely intriguing to me. Because I'm not sure how else we could get the perspective. Uh, a maester? A grand maester? A red priest? I mean, that's possible. Some kind of weird translation. Some kind of voice to the fire. I don't know. Uh, but hearing the Night King, or at least getting to know him, that's right. Gather around... Let's have a cup of tea, Night King. Let's get to know you. That is intriguing. And I would be on board with understanding the Night King just a little bit more. Hey, Ken. So I was just caught, uh, I think it was episode three of the first season on uh, rerunning on HBO as I was making my lunch. Um, something I noticed is that when Ned gives his goodbye to Catelyn at King's Landing, you know, she has to leave and he tells her that, you know, he'll do everything he can to find the truth, and then he'll bring the truth to Robert and hope that he's still the man he once was. Uh, I'm paraphrasing there. But that goodbye is so poignant. The The emotion in it is so, so deeply felt. Ned's lip quivering as Catelyn leaves. Um, he stands there and watches her until he can't see her anymore. Um, it's, it's a really beautiful scene, but it also made me notice every single goodbye in Game of Thrones is just as poignant they're always painted as if they could possibly be that last goodbye. Uh, it's a really brilliant tool. I can't believe I haven't noticed it until now, but, you know, gotta love Game of Thrones. I think Thomas summed it up best there at the end of that call. You know, you gotta love Game of Thrones. You do, because there's so many layers there. It is such a rewarding show when you keep going back and watching it, even now. And those poignant goodbyes... We, we've discussed them here, and I think I've discussed them in other shows I've done where you go back and rewatch season one in particular. There are so many moments that are goodbyes that the characters don't know at the time, even though some are literally saying goodbye. You'll meet again. We'll meet again. And it never really happens. And that's why I think the story of Game of Thrones keeps you on your edge. On and keeps you on the edge because even go to season seven. I swore, you guys know I'm a big Sir Jorah Mormont fan. I swore he was going out. I was buying into some of the theories. I was buying into some people teasing me, saying that he was going to be the white that they brought back to show Cersei. And some of his final moments with Danny as they're leaving for that mission, I thought these, these are the, this is it. These are goodbyes. Jorah will never see her again, at least not in this form. Oh my, oh my. And that is what the show does so well. Because the story goes, at times, almost any place, especially early on when there was more characters and more open plot threads and, and you just weren't still fully aware where the story was going or, or even if you were familiar with the books but you didn't know if the show was going to keep to it. Yeah, the... the the threat of a final goodbye hangs over almost any scene. Now, later on, I think of Barristan Selmy. There's definitely uh, his his death was forecast because his final scene it wasn't a goodbye necessarily with Danny, but the long speech, the big moment about uh, Rhaegar telling her all that stuff. It kind of had 
that feeling of a final goodbye that the show uh, was giving us this final moment with them. So that I love too. The show, just when you think, ah, uh, this is too obvious, it isn't. And then sometimes you're like, ah, that seems kind of, oh, nope, it is obvious. It is what I, it is. What it is. So yeah, go back. Uh, the show is so layered and uh, I think season one probably has the most goodbyes. We should probably run a stat check on that. Which season has the most unintentional final goodbyes? Another wrinkle to the majesty that is Game of Thrones.